Hello, everyone, and welcome to One Control Report Podcast, episode 238. I'm Benjamin Yoder, here today to do something a little different. So if you hadn't heard the last couple weeks, I had mentioned that I was going to try to uh, do a year-in-review video sometime soon before the end of the year. Unfortunately, timeline-wise, it doesn't really work out. So instead, I'm going to uh, wrap that into the podcast, which does work out, because I really did not have a lot to talk about this week, honestly. So it works out pretty good in that regard. So essentially, this podcast today is going to replace our typical year in review video, which honestly, the last year that video was basically just a podcast. So we're probably not losing all that much in that regard. Uh, if you are watching the the video version of this podcast, though, you can see I have our, our New Year card here on screen. It's me and uh, Mokuma from Buddy Mission Bond hanging out on this this uh, animated card here. <laughs> so if you want to check that out, you can, but it's going to be basically on loop the entire time. So you don't stare too hard because this is probably going to be like a 40 minute thing. So yeah. Um, but basically, I want to talk about three different things. Um, one is uh, the games that I played this year, the ones that stood out to me. Uh, the thoughts I had about the game industry in general this year due to like various news stories or maybe like how, how the market has shifted. And then the last one will just be the general 2022 plans, you know, trying to like lay out what I plan to do for 2022 and maybe some lessons I learned throughout 2021 about or, or changes I made through 2021 on how I want to handle content, essentially. So we're going to start with games first and foremost, though. Um, and these games basically fall into three categories. One is being my favorite old game. So anything I played this year that was before or released before 2021, uh, favorite new game, anything that I played this year that was released in 2021 and then my most disappointing game in the case of most disappointing game i don't care what year it came out the only the only goal with that is just to highlight the game that um i would say had the most potential but but failed to actually implement on it so the first game i want to talk about and i'm going to cheat here a little bit probably for two two out of three of these i'm going to cheat here a little bit i think my real answer for my favorite old game of the year might be a Nintendoji. However, I'm making a Nintendoji video right now that's planned to come out early next year. So I don't really want to talk about Nintendoji in depth here. So instead, I'm going to talk about Happy Dance Collection because that is probably the second uh, favorite old game for me this year. And Happy Dance Collection kind of is a uh, is nice for me because it is a home console version of that fashion rhythm thing I always talk about with like a Toka doll and things like that. So, you know, being able to have a, a game experience at home where you can have that fashion element, unlock clothes, dress a character up and then, uh, you know, do the, the, the rhythm element of the game and, and then have those two things add up to a score. Now, I will say that's not something that's specifically exclusive to Happy Dance Collection. There are home versions of Love and Berry, Aikatsu, Prepara, and I have not played those. So I don't want to sit there and say that those are not good versions of those things. Um, but in the case of, of Happy Dance Collection, it is something built specifically for the home. And it has like its own story mode and everything that's really cute that I that I really enjoyed. It's like basically you're this like idol girl who goes off to become an idol uh, and then becomes idol of the world and then becomes idol of the universe when she goes into space. So it's like a goofy, fun storyline, but I think it's it, it's been it was really enjoyable overall for me um, because it, it's it's just like a cute story, I think, in general. Um, it was all in Japanese and it was kind of hard to follow with machine translation, actually. But the story was simple enough that like 
not having any of the words doesn't really matter that much. But I do like that game because it gives you a lot of freedom in dressing up your character. You know, when you're dressing up a character, it, it, it asks you for specific things. But most of the time, you don't have those specific items. So you have to just kind of, you know, make something work, right? You have to be creative in the outfits you wear. And the dancing element of the game is probably the weakest part just because I, at least personally cannot find how to make Wii Remote dancing controls uh, super accurate. Um, so I can definitely, I got through the game, I beat it, I beat all the, the story mode uh, for, for that game, but I just um, found it to be a frustrating experience at times because of those motion controls. But overall, if I think about the game that stuck with me the most this year and I enjoyed the most, probably Happy Dance Collection is the one. As much as I say I really like Nintendoji right now, it also could be that I'm currently working on Nintendoji, so that's painting my bias a little bit there so i think happy dance collection is a very um reasonable game to put my favorite old game category for favorite new game category uh another caveat here was like i think the game i probably love most this year is buddy mission bond but i have not beaten buddy mission bond so i don't feel comfortable saying that so um shoe in buddy mission bond there maybe if that's if that doesn't matter to you but if me beating a game does matter to you i think dc superhero girls is probably the one i liked most now one thing i do want to really stress is that i did not play that many new games this year i will say so i feel like my uh, I, I don't care about like having a broad view of the industry we're not doing game of the year here right but i feel like my um level of satisfaction with dc superhero girls is like good to great like it's in that range right but i did not jump it didn't jump out at me as like an excellent game or that like i love it or something like that there's a good chance by this time next year i will have forgotten dc superhero girls as was a part of my life outside of if somebody mentions it to me right um so i don't want to say uh that it's like anything crazy but i did really enjoy the game um one thing that i really appreciate about the game's design is its overworld so i'm not a big fan of like big open world games that have a lot of space that often feel wasted or or something that doesn't feel you know um respectful of the player's time um, it's why I can't, like, as much as I love Xenoblade Chronicles, like, I cannot love Xenoblade Chronicles X as much as the other games, just because I don't care for that overworld design that much. It does change a bit once you get in the mechs, but we're not here to talk about Xenoblade Chronicles X, um, which I did beat this year, actually. Um, but DC Superhero Girls is very compact with this overworld, but it does feel fun to explore. Basically, each town has, like, a variety of, like, alleys you can kind of explore, and then streets can go down. But then there's also multiple layers to it, because you can also go above onto like the rooftops and there's also like a sewer system can go in too so it's like three layers but it's all kind of stacked on top of each other and each like section you know has kind of a unique feel to how you move about it and what you do up there so i and and, and or do in each section so i do really like that aspect of the game because i think it's a game that makes a lot of smart use of the space that it has with the unfortunate caveat of you can't use your superpowers in the overworld and i think that would have been a a real nice thing to help you navigate the world faster um, one thing I do th want to say, though, as somebody who has not played DC or any like really interacted with any kind of like DC comics series, uh, DC Superhero Girls, which is a you know game that's essentially based off some TV show about like you know various Batman or or, or superheroes. I don't know if they're all Batman related. I mean, it's DC. DC. I don't know how, how how much of that encompasses Batman or not. Um, but DC Superhero Girls. 
um, gives you like a, a, a shot of like what these characters would be like as like teenage girls. And I'm sure the show that's based off does the exact same thing. But I thought that was like a fun way to kind of like explore these different characters and and learn about them. Like, I don't know who Poison Ivy is, but I like, you know, the, the, the way they portray a Poison Ivy in this game. as like this weird, you know, <laughs> environmental crazed, almost like depressed girl that that looks sleep deprived. Like that's that's like a fun way to portray that character, I feel like as somebody who can I can picture what Poison Ivy looks in my head. I don't know anything about Poison Ivy, though. So um, but I, I do like that kind of like conversion but that's maybe not game specific that's more just like general to the the the, the tone um but yeah i i think to get back to the game though uh the 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 quest system was pretty fun they try to build in the teen girl element with like the social media part um so you do have like these things where you can go and take pictures of, of things and post them on like a social media feed and get likes things like that i kind of i like that element of the game as much as it kind of became at some point largely frivolous i'd say probably about a third of the way through the game you really stop paying attention to that stuff but at least early on it feels pretty neat and it feels like there's there's a cool idea there even if it didn't really come come together um so so really probably the strengths of this game are the the overall exploration and then also um character variety as well um so you have i think uh, it might be up to six characters or or i think it might be more than that um maybe it's 10 but you have characters on the villains and the hero side, and each of them play differently, and they have, you know, little upgrade systems you can do. And I will say that, like, the combat does not, is a bit plain overall, but the, each character and how they, they interact in that combat and what they can do in combat, um, they all are, are, are fairly unique. So it is fun to, like, switch between the characters. I wish it was easier to switch between characters during combat, and you could do, like, more of a combo system. But I do think that what they have there is, is, is good enough on its own, and, and, and the, the, variety keeps it interesting despite it being kind of straightforward there's also the aspect that um you have this like ranking system in every battle that kind of makes it so like even if a battle is not hard you can basically try to achieve three girl three goals in each battle for bonus exp and things like that and unfortunately they don't surface this to you in a very clear way and that would have really helped i think in in, in helping uh make those things easier to pay attention to and utilize uh but but i do think the idea is good and if you do want to like pause the game every time to check the 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 like the the battle objectives you can do that and get that kind of bonus because it does make you change how you play like not only focusing on counters but also focusing on losing or dodging damage things like that it, it does ch change how a encounter goes even if like the combat itself is largely just like a three hit combo system with a special right so i think there's just a lot of smart ideas here maybe none of them really came to fruition uh, like a hundred percent but i think their core ideas are strong enough that they could the game conveys it in a way that that creates a vision and 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 i think largely delivers on it even if it isn't like the perfect implementation of it so pretty fun game overall I, I really liked it again i don't think it's like something you have to rush out and buy but out of the games i played this year that one probably made the most impact on me i originally had near here as well but that's also an old game and i kind of have mixed feelings on near to some degree so the near remake that is most disappointing game now if you have been following me you probably know what game this is uh it is industrial spy operation espionage for the sega dreamcast yeah this game i would love for it to be good um in a lot of ways it is really good it's like a great style if you have not seen this game before it's basically a like um 
game where you infiltrate various buildings using various agents and then you have to go complete an objective which might sound pretty normal but it is like these really complicated environments that are filled with things to distract you in a way that i think it's really cool because you have to kind of parse out what is actually relevant to your mission where it's like oh you know there could be some weird freezer system you can interact with and operate but it has nothing to do with the mission you're on so like it's a complete waste of time to go do that essentially um so i did i did like that aspect of the game the kind of the the dense chaotic nature of the environments and how much you're exploring and how you have control of all four of agents as once so they can kind of all move about and do different things i thought that was that was really fun um also i think the cast itself is really good you know is it a bunch of stereotypes sure it's like a reckless american former soldier right um it's like a hot-headed french dude all that stuff but i do i do like the cast i think the the, the little dialogue they have is, is pretty good i just wish there was a little more um um kind of fl- uh uh, not fluff, but like substance to it. Like it, it's very surface level, but but you do get a glimpse at what these characters are like. So overall, I think it's a really cool idea. The problem really just comes down to the lack of feedback. You know, the fact that you can pull a lever and it, you don't know what it does. And then it's like, oh, there's 50 more of these levers in the entire environment that you won't know what they do either. It's just way too complicated with so little information to help you finish the game. And even with the guide, I, as I always say, it was really hard to even finish the game using a guide, despite it just being basically a list of levers you have to pull because the, the complexity of those environments and how you interact with them was just so high. You know, there, there are things in that game where you had to do a particular, like pull a particular lever, but if like a character was not in the right place at the right time, when you pull that lever, it would completely break the mission as far as I could tell. So there's stuff like that, that I just think is, 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 is just way too hard to expect a player to even sit down and like power through even if they really like the game so as much as i love industrial spy operation espionage the art the characters and everything else it is that core gameplay mechanic just really kind of destroys the game like i mentioned before if we did a community review of that game i probably would have given it a one out of five as much as i love it it's just so hard to play that it is almost unplayable unfortunately so that's it for the games this year. Next, I want to talk about some thoughts I had uh, about games in 2021. So this is just kind of like general thoughts on the industry as well as where things have been going. I will say, I feel like this year is mostly old stuff. I don't know if that is reflective of, you know, a personal shift of mine of maybe I focused more on that this year. Or if it has more to do with the fact that, you know, I feel like the console space has not really evolved in a way that we thought it might with the Xbox Series X and PlayStation 5 release. I feel like most people are still kind of waiting to see um, what happens with those consoles. So here's here's one that's very personal for me this year and also is related to one last year where I talked a little bit about how I have a really hard time enjoying classic games because I feel like I know enough about them based off what other people have talked about over the years that when I sit down and play them, I usually am not very surprised uh, by by the game itself. And I feel like when I play them, I'm just like, yeah, this is everything I kind of expected to be. And then I I don't have any real feelings on the game like neither positive or negative it's just like this is just this video game i talked about super mario brothers 3 last year this year though i did have a good experience and and unfortunately it's not because i've improved as a person in terms of better being able to just enjoy games just that are fun rather than having to learn something about games through a game um and that was through super metroid um and and super metroid is a game that i i expected 
you know, for a very long time that if I played it, I would not like it, uh, mainly because I hear so much praise for it all the time that I was just like, okay, it's probably gonna be like Castlevania with gun and less, like no loot, right? Just power up, no loot, right? So, so that would be my expect, that was my expectation of this game. Um, and I think that's how people typically sell the game as well. Maybe different ambiance in terms of the atmosphere, given you're in like a underground cave system and things like that. And there's no real like characters or dialogue. It is just Samus on this, this planet usually. Uh, or in the case of Super Metroid, I think it's Zebus or something like that. Uh, but what I found was that this is a game that's really rough and wonky um it has a really distinct like low gravity movement style where where samus just kind of bounces straight up and kind of floats down in a way that i've never really seen another character play it reminds me of playing like kirby in a in, in like the 2d platformers it's like kirby's a weird character to move and metroid feels or metroid samus feels the same way um uh moving around uh, I think it's it's really neat that it has that uh, its own like feel to it, but all, at the same time, I also think in that particular game it feels pretty bad to move Samus like that. The environment itself does not feel built to handle Samus's movement. So when you're moving around this game that is really an exploration-based game, right? It feels really chunky because you just get stuck on all these different platforms and you kind of slip off these platforms all the time. And like how your jump is angled usually ends up in you kind of like just slipping off a side kind of thing. So, um, you know, as time goes on, you get skills that kind of alleviate this platforming mechanic. Uh, there's like a screw attack where you can literally just jump infinitely as far as I could tell. Uh, but at the same time, as you get those new skills, the timing on them are incredibly tight. You have to be able to be um, effective at those inputs to to really make full use of Samus's moveset. Um, so it's it's a very aggressive game in the, in the in that way where like it will not let you you know succeed in using Samus's other moves unless you start to try to master those controls. Um, and it's a the Metroid series is a series I've always kind of understood as a series of games that you probably should replay multiple times. So it makes sense that as you play Super Metroid over and over and over again, you would learn more and and get more used to the moveset and utilizing that in a way that you could get those you know, low percentage rankings or quick clear times, things like that. So you can get the different Samus outfits or whatever in the credits. Um but I guess what I was not expecting was just such a rough onboarding pop process for a game that was essentially considered a classic. Do I consider Super Metroid a classic? I think it's a game that is, you know, setting a foundation for a game style. Obviously, that's kind of where Metroidvania starts in some ways. Obviously, there's other games that have done plenty of other things around that time. Don't sit there and say like, oh, this game did it before it. I understand that. But in terms of like making that kind of style of game mainstream in a way. Um, I Super Metroid, at least here in the West, right? Super Metroid is definitely um, one of the key pillars of that that genre. And and to see the game handle it so haphazardly in a way that I feel like really would push off other people, usually uh, I'm surprised that people uh, like it as much as they do. Um, I don't think it's a bad game. I had fun with it because it was so weird and unwieldy, but I was very taken aback by the fact that it is a game that I don't think really um, probably deserves the status of a classic, but definitely is deserving of, you know, or like maybe maybe not a classic, maybe deserves the status of being a great game. Um, but I think it, it deserves the, the status of being like a, 
a historical piece and and i guess in some ways classic i guess that i had to double check the definition of what a classic would be right but i i don't think i would recommend a lot of people play super metroid i think people should know about super metroid i don't think they need to play super metroid um because it is just kind of a rough game so anyways one thing i am curious about in the future potentially is playing maybe some more metroid games seeing how much of that is retained in the later games and see how it polishes up i know everyone's always like you need to play zero mission instead but still whether zero mission does it well or not still doesn't change that 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 kind of feeling i got from super metroid of just like wow this is way rougher than i thought it would be given how people talk about this video game so uh, if you like Super Metroid a lot, that's not anything offensive to you, like I said, uh, or uh, not meant to offend you. It, like I said, um, it is something that I think at the more time you spend with it, the less and less those things become problems. Um, probably in the same way that I, with Castlevania 64, you know, I've learned to work with Castlevania 64's gameplay a lot more, so or, or controls a lot more, so I can I can deal with Castlevania 64 fairly fairly easily for the most part. Um, I don't like accidentally commit suicide all the time anymore, um, where initially on my first run, I definitely did that because the controls were kind of messed up. <laughs> so, um, the next topic I want to talk about is for limited run games specifically. Um, you know, last year I talked a bit about how I was getting frustrated by purchasing physical games and the uncertainty that comes with it, not only in terms of a game, you know, getting a digital announcement and then maybe eventually getting for the physical release, but also cases like with uh, Curse of the Moon, where they, uh, Curse of the Moon 2, sorry, where they announce they're going to have a physical release and then wait like six months before they even put a pre-order up and then wait like another year before they even like let you order, order it kind of thing. This was not a topic that I had exclusively for Lunar Run Games last year, but this year this is something that I that is exclusive to Lunar Run Games, or at least companies like Lunar Run Games, where um, I think I'm done with those types of companies uh, as a whole. Um, the reason being is just the time it takes for a video game to get in your hands. I understand that some games at Lunar Run Games definitely uh, need that extra help to get a physical release, right? There's there's not a lot they can do other than just, you know, once their game's popular enough in the digital space, they can say, this would be really cool if we had a physical copy and then basically dish it out to people from there, hopefully include downloadable content on the cart, things like that. I think the bigger problem I have is when these companies that have the resources to do a traditional physical release or typically would have the resources, um, they rely on limited run games because it really does a disservice to the the player, I think, in a lot of ways, because you have a digital version that comes out and then, you know, a physical is going to come, but you're just waiting to see what happens. Um, so Panzer Dragoon is the most extreme case of this. I didn't unfortunately I didn't check the date before before the, the, the podcast, um, but I believe I ordered that game in March of 2020, if not sometime early 2020, right? Um, and by the time that I got that game, I think it was like August this year. And I was just like, oh, this thing, like, like I knew I had it on order, but like it had been so ridiculously long from the time of order to the time of receiving. I was just like, I kind of don't care that much anymore. Um, like I care, but like, it was not something that was super, super important to me at that time. 
And in the case of Panzer Dragoon specifically, that's like a 45 minute game. So I sat it in, popped it in out of a feeling of obligation, honestly, and was like, okay, this is finally here. Let me play it. Played my 45 minutes. And I'm like, I spent more time probably thinking about this game and how it was not here than I did actually playing it. And it, obviously Panzer Dragoon's kind of an extreme case, but I just don't think I care for that model. It just, it just takes so long for anything to happen. And Curse of the Moon 2 is the same thing. I was really excited to try Curse of the Moon 2, um, but then I waited for the uh, Loaded Run Games release, and it just took forever for them to not only announce a pre-order, they said they were going to do it, but announce a pre-order, and then also deliver it. And now it's sitting on my shelf. Would that have still been sitting on my shelf if I got it immediately? You know, it's who can say probably honestly, but like I, I the the iron was more hot then. Now it's kind of like, well, I can get to this when I when I when I feel like it, right? Um, it, it's just too long of a timeline for anything. And then I think it also hurts that we see stuff like Blaster Master Zero coming out day and date physical in Japan with English on the cart, and it's like in that case, I'm just gonna import the Japanese version. I'm going to do the same for Gunvolt Adventure, uh, Luminous Adventure G2 as well. It just does not make a lot of sense to sit there and, and wait for the U.S. copy of the game in that regard. So I don't know. I don't know what to think about Lunar Run games. I just don't think that tier of, of um, game makes a lot of sense for that. It just kind of hurts the consumer, I feel like, because you are sitting there waiting. Now, at the end of the day... If you want to buy and wait for it to show up, I have no problem with that. I know some people have some issues with limit run games this year. I don't really have a lot of thoughts on that. But just from like a purchase customer's perspective, I just didn't really care that much. The other kind of factor that leads into the next topic here is that this year also was the year that um, we had like the C-bomb battery issue on uh, on PlayStation 3 and to some degree uh, PlayStation 4. Yeah, PlayStation 4. And how basically those game discs that, you know, Lim Run was selling you were, were essentially useless um, because Sony had something in place that basically prevented you from actually launching a game on disc without a, if not an internet connection, then a battery that had synced your system up to the internet to hit a Sony server at some point, essentially. Um, now, that has since been resolved, supposedly. People have reported on that Sony basically quietly patched that issue, so that is no longer a problem. But it did make me really sit down and question, you know, how much the physical copy really is matters, even if they're, you know, selling you something that is like, oh, this is fully preserved forever for you on a disc, when, you know, it's really just kind of like, well... There's still just a lot of like internet ties to this stuff that that still could cause problems down the line. So I think it's fine now for the most part with the disc stuff. Um, but you know, if you have a system that is pre some version of the firmware, basically it will be a, a brick at some point once the battery dies. So um, that really kind of leads into my next topic here, the the, the third topic I guess just to say, um, which is digital rights. I think has really started to devalue my um devalue games in general for me um really because a couple different things um one is with the 360 and ps3 coming up you know as as kind of the retro systems you know thankfully those servers are online still today where people can actually you know go and get patches and things like that and largely buy different games obviously that almost didn't happen this year because sony all shut down the playstation 3 stores um, but it, it is something that, um, having that happen at the same time that the C-bomb battery issue happened and everything made me think, actually, 
maybe I don't need to like buy games in preparation of maybe they're going to disappear someday. Um, I look at like WiiWare and how I spent maybe like $200 on that service and, and that's great and I, I don't mind supporting developers, things like that. Like I would, I would much rather give money to developers for that stuff. But the kind of like out, like facing, thinking about the future purchasing with that in that regard of like, I'm going to buy you, me and the cubes and maybe I get to this someday. Like it doesn't really matter in the case of WiiWare because all that stuff is available to essentially hack onto your system. And Nintendo doesn't care about you hacking the, like legally they care, but in terms of today, nobody at Nintendo is worried about the WiiWare library being fully available online and downloadable and installable on a Wii, right? Nobody gives a, a crap. Um, and I think a lot of times, a lot of these companies in general just do not care in like that you, you do it. it. It depends on the game, obviously, you know, how, how financially valuable it might be to them. But, you know, it's, it's something that, I, I think I'm just realizing I don't need to do these kind of like, I guess, stakeholding purchases on those kind of things. Like, I think with, with original physical games on older systems, it feels a little different to me because then that's like a part of my collection and part of my library. But I don't need to sit there and buy and be like, oh, I want to make sure I forever have access to you, me and the cubes or, or, or let's catch. Because at least as of today, thankfully, most people generally or, or, or most of that stuff is generally available for you to install later on down the line. And obviously, to some degree, that is illegal. But at the same time, these companies also are not thinking that far down the line. And they're just like, whatever. Castlevania Adventure the Rebirth, we don't care. I, I don't think you can buy that now, right? I I, I know it's not on WiiWare, that's for sure. Um, but, you know, there, there are things out there that, that companies have put out with digital rights services, and they don't care that you can't buy them. And so if they don't care that I can't buy them, I don't care about, like really going my way to to buy them ahead of time to make sure 20 years from now as long as my Wii still has working system memory I can and, and, and you know play it there kind of thing so um, it, it, it really just made me think a lot less about buying a collection of digital games because I feel like it doesn't matter in a lot of ways um, and and if if a company cares enough they'll make it available in some way or the other and I can still buy that version of the game at that time I'm somebody who doesn't really mind um, you know buying a game and you know to, a new version of a game to kind of support me playing an older version which kind of leads into the next uh, you know topic here of just like the fourth topic um I don't think re-releases for games will ever be reliable. Um, you know, this year we had the Switch 64 games that came out um, and then like a bunch of 64 games that you can play on emulator via Switch. Um, you also have the Grand Theft Auto trilogy, HD trilogy that came out. Um, and both of those were, were well, Grand Theft Auto trilogy was a trash fire. Switch 64 games online, um, they're not as good as they should be, but they're fine for the most part, right? Like, I, I think the people who care about 664 games being good online have their ways, and they're going to play that however they're going to play it, right? But, but and, and the people who don't care are going to play it on Switch and, and be perfectly happy for the most part. Maybe they don't play Ocarina of Time if it really does bother them that much uh, with, like, the input lag and things like that. But... From, from people in my perspective of just like, you know, wanting to always play a accurate version of a game, like the re-release stuff that comes out just probably will never be accurate enough just because, you know, companies just don't have the resources to 
to justify um, in the case of, of older games, like really kind of one-to-one recreating those in like as, as clean as way as possible. Obviously there's some exceptions here and there and it's great when they do. M2 always does great work, um, but they are not always, but you know, most of the time you get, if you see M2 on like a, a game like that, you're, you're going to f- feel pretty confident, but M2 is not working on every single one of these re-releases. Right. So, so it's just a matter of, it's a dice roll. And if it, if it gets to a point where something comes out and it's playable in a way that you're okay with it, then sure, fine. Um, but uh, it just it, it's not something that companies are ever going to really go out of their way to um, to uh, make sure are 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 like perfect. They only care that they can put it out and you you don't notice. Basically, obviously, in the case of Grand Theft Auto, people do notice. But um, I think it is a shame though because obviously, with something like Grand Theft Auto and Ocarina of Time, so many people care about those games. You have the slews that go out there and be like, "Oh yeah, here's the exact problem." But then you have like Pack and Roll Remix, right? And we played Pack and Roll this year on stream, and I hadn't played Pack and Roll in a long time. So I was playing the Wii version of Pack and Roll, um, which is the remix one, which doesn't use the touchscreen controls and things like that. Uh, and that is a real problem with that game. When I sat down and played on DS, Pac-Man has way more velocity when you can just like sit there and flick him around on screen using the touchscreen because he's a little ball and you roll around on levels, essentially. Um, but in the Wii version, uh, you don't have that. You have Pac-Man that you move around with the analog stick and then you have like a dash by swinging the Wii remote and it greatly limits your velocity and momentum in that game and it creates a lot of problems with with the level design specifically like the the level design just is not fit for a slower pac-man so you have problems where a section that should be pretty straightforward in the ds version becomes incredibly challenging in the wii version um now i guess you could always say well it's something that i wasn't able to really notice when i was playing through so it doesn't really matter that much because i did beat the game and everything right but it did really hurt my perspective on that game i was like pack and roll is maybe not as good as i remember it being then i went back and played the ds version I was like actually pack and roll is as good as i remember it being all right an all right launch window game <laughs> but like that's the way to play it is on the ds um I, I might play the pack and roll hd um uh remix as well i think that's coming out in a pac-man collection i have not looked at the price of that or if you can buy games individually but i would like to to look at the most recent version of pack and roll remix as well my assumption is that it'll have the same problem as the wii version where you just don't have enough velocity to move around unfortunately but but we'll see um but then there's other also just like minor graphical issues you can run into with like crystal Chronicles HD having some weird visual effects happening um, and, and things like that. So, so it is, I will always say I would like, you know, companies to continue releasing their stuff, even if it's not perfect, you know, as long as they can get it to a place that they feel comfortable with it. You know, the original releases are, at least at this point in time, always there. There are ways to play them. And, and the people who are like me who care, you know, can then go and like buy the latest re-release and then go and, and, you know, basically pirate the old one and probably not feel too bad about it right I'm, I'm supporting the developer i gave them the money for that game and obviously legally there's a gray thing there of just like well you don't really own the original game but they're not selling it to you anyways or they're selling it to you in a form that you don't want to actually play it <laughs> 
but you know i'm i'm a big believer of supporting development teams and and giving money for for things that you actually you know care about you know i buy a lot of games at full price that i know for certain that i'm not going to you know get to before it drops to twenty dollars but i want to show my support for those games and give them the money especially since you know i grew up you know being pretty frugal on on game purchases and probably didn't support the industry as much as i i should have i supported game stops a bunch right but maybe not so much a nintendo <laughs> so or or nintendo are probably always buying stuff new at full price but like other companies right um like Freedom Wars is still like my my greatest regret because I I love Freedom Wars but I bought it like five dollars and like Sony and and anyone who was involved in that project did not see any of that money essentially so um, and the last topic I have here for my thoughts on 2021 is just something I learned this year um, and that is holy crap manuals are helpful um, so one of the problems I run into when I'm doing like the playing games that I have no idea what they are or like I'm the only person on the internet in English talking about them is that finding out how to actually play them or learning about them can be hard um and uh, I would typically look at like Japanese resources online and translate those and 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 basically use that as a guide but recently I started doing like uh phone translations of the manuals by pointing at like the camera at the manual and I found that to be incredibly helpful um, there's a game called like the Ice Climbing RPG. Silvery Peak is a simple series game on PlayStation 1. Could not for the life of me figure out how to play that game um, online or anything. But I went and just phone translated the manual. And it's not that complicated. It's just figuring out what does what, essentially. And I was able to play through that entire game. Was it a great game? Eh. But I do like the idea of the game a lot. And it was kind of neat to like learn about that game through the manual itself and, and translate it. So especially in the case of like making a case for like having a physical game still, if the, that material is not available online for you to access otherwise, um, I think that's very valuable. And, and as somebody who grew up in the, in the, the late nineties, like manuals weren't as much of a thing anymore. Games had built, started having built in materials. Uh, or tutorials, uh, you know, around the early 2000s. So, like, manuals were something that I would flip through on the drive home, obviously. Like, I think most other kids of that kind of era. But I kind of was on the back half of that, where I think I realized at some point, hey, they're going to tell me how to jump when I actually play the game. So I don't need to worry too much about that, <laughs> right? Um, Bon Kaitos was maybe the last game I really sat down and read the manual, because I had heard so much about how how hard it was to get into. And, and I was like, I want to make sure I understand these mechanics, especially since I was not good at RPGs. RPGs at the time. So I think I've really started to appreciate the manual more in recent years. And to me, it was always just more or less just a kind of little trophy inside the case of like, oh, I got this complete. Oh, 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 oh. But, <laughs> but it was not something I used very often. So so in recent years, I definitely, or this year specifically, I really started to learn how, how that works and, and learn to appreciate um, how that manual stuff works. I don't know if the ice climbing RPG was this year, but other situations of this was uh, Battle Heat. I used Battle Heat manual to learn more about that game. The online resources on Giant Bomb are great for offensive skills, but it doesn't teach you a lot about defensive skills. And I learned that a lot. I uh, learned the defensive elements from the manual itself. Um, partly thankful, thanks to, to Paul Daniel, who did the uh, Battle Heat translation or, or English manual translation on his archive.org link. Um, and then there's also, in the case of Nintendoji, which unfortunately, as far as I can tell, the manual for Nintendoji is lost. So if you don't know, Nintendoji is a digital-only game. And Nintendo put out a manual via PDF um, at the time 
but uh, I cannot find any working links to it. I can't find any downloads of it whatsoever. Everybody who referenced it just pointed to Nintendo's URL, and that URL is dead. And I've tried seeing if that URL has anything in archive.org, and it does not. So I think the Nintendo G manual might just be lost to time unless somebody like finds it on their computer somewhere. Um, so that's very unfortunate. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so either way, thankfully there was somebody who had created like a very extensive guide online that I think I suspect is maybe based off the manual, if not a copy and paste of the manual, because it is incredibly well-made and detailed in a way that feels more professional than I would expect out of an online guide for that. So I, I get the feeling that somebody basically recreated the manual online is what they did. So unfortunately it's just hard to tell. So so yeah, mostly old game stuff this year, which kind of disappoints me. I always kind of like to continue to make sure I pay attention to modern video games and, and stuff like that. And I feel like I have been this year, but I don't feel like there's been really any real developments this year. Um, you know, we're still in this cross-gen period that's been, you know, extra extended due to, you know, hardware shortages on PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X. I was presented with an option to buy a PS5 earlier this year. Uh, I was in like Sony's lottery system, right, as a PlayStation Plus subscriber. And they're like, hey, you want to buy this? And I sat down and thought about it. I like, I cannot think of a single reason I want to buy a PS5 today. Um, so I did not buy, buy one at the time. Uh, I have a couple of reasons I'd buy an Xbox Series X, um, but um, I, I, it is, it's not big enough for me to really care about. Um, and then the Series S has been available, but I, I would rather just have a Series X, to be honest with you. So, you know, I just feel like there wasn't a lot going on this year. Um, but, you know, that's typical first year console launches. You know, you're going to see a lot of overlap and, and not a lot of new. Um, and I think the weird thing this year is that it's almost advertised with the overlap rather than being kind of a begrudgingly like, hey, we're, we put out a gun on Xbox 360 and that's what we're showing in the market materials, but also you can buy it on every other console if you really want to as well. I need to get gun for the PSP at some point. That, that has like, ex like additional, um, uh, content in it. Maybe I should do that. Oh boy. That might be a fun stream game. Gun is very short. I'm thinking about that. I'll think about that. Think about gun more. Speaking of thinking about this stuff more, the next up is the website direction. So if you don't know, 2021, I had some plans that did not exactly work out. Um, so I'll probably be talking a little bit about those uh, as we go through here. But largely, I want to try to keep it forward facing. So mostly when I talk about those, it's going to be in reflection of what didn't work. So I making changes in 2022 first and foremost though i will say um uh, that starting in the next week or two i don't know the exact date yet but um, i'm doing a patreon launch here uh, the the formal launch so if you don't know what's going on with the patreon there i'm really going to be focusing on probably two things um basically uh reutilizing old content whether that be abandoned content that i've never put out before so you can see those those things i was working on and, and dropped off um also, uh, kind of doing readings of my old content and do commentary on it. So to just kind of add some context to it and then like maybe talk about it a bit, but also just because I know not everybody likes to read articles. Honestly, these days I don't read a lot, like for better or for worse. I do not read a lot outside of like reading information about games. Like I don't read about people's articles very often or anything like that or read books even. So it's a way to get a, a verbal reading of those articles if you're interested. And it's also just to, to hear kind of my, my updated thoughts about those games, you know, maybe a, a criticism of, of, of my own 
you know, writing at the time and things like that, how I felt about it. I'd say most stuff before 2015, I'm not particularly proud of. Even more recently, I think there are things about my videos that like even 2018 or so, I, I feel a little less confident about these days than I did in even 2020. Um, but that's, hey, that's how you grow, right? You learn to do new things and then the old stuff looks bad <laughs> in comparison to you. So yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to kind of reutilize some of that old content that is just sitting around and doing nothing. But I, I do kind of still appreciate, and some of it is good. I'm always surprised sometimes when I read something. I'm like, this is actually solid. Like, I wrote something decent. Wow. When I was 22, I was writing garbage then. How'd that happen? Um, and then also, uh, the, the other thing is going to be just probably like quick hit, like bonus podcasts that are not very formally, you know, titled or anything like that. They will literally just be... I'm going to talk into this microphone right now because this is happening right now. Um, I also might try to do some like behind the scene videos. I don't know how that's going to work out right now, but that is, that is the plan. So Patreon launches is, is, is one thing that's going to be happening next year. And I'll be putting out content for that. And I'll be updating you guys on the YouTube about that as well. Also, uh, we're going to be doing voting and things like that for podcast topics and, and, and stream submissions. Be, be honest. I don't expect this Patreon to take off at all especially not the first year. So if you want to get your podcast questions or games in, now would be the time probably. Uh, again, I don't really expect to take off. So like, it's, I'm going to guess I'm going to go most of the year without any podcast questions or games submitted, but, but we'll see. Um, and uh, let me know if there's anything you want out of the Patreon as well. I'm, I I can't guarantee much, honestly, because just the timing thing, but I'm always happy to hear what you're looking for in a Patreon. So in terms of actual content for website direction, um, one thing that I ended up, making a change of this year and I think I will continue in, in the next year although you may not it may not be super obvious is um avoiding individual game reviews what I mean by that is I want to review avoid situations where my goal with a video is to be an all-encompassing video about a thing um the problem I ran into with the Valkyrie Revolution review that I, I put together earlier this year and it took me a long time to put that together was there was a lot of stuff in there that I wanted to talk about because I felt like I had to because of the review, right? Telling the good, telling the bad, telling you what both of those things are, giving you kind of how those things work together and things like that. And, and, and really just kind of, in some ways, creating that all encompassing picture. And while I think that's great and wonderful, honestly, to be able to do that, you know, I don't think anyone's really looking to me for like a complete Valkyrie Revolution review in the year of, you know, 2021, right? I think what people want for me is for me to focus on what I want to say about those games. And and I think for, for the sake of getting videos done faster and also focusing the videos in a way that, that focus on what I think is most interesting about them is, um, you know, making the videos focused on those aspects and, and not worrying so much about how everybody else feels about it. I do want to keep that context in place. I don't ever want to like tell you about a game and make you think that it is like, you know, the next best thing since Mario or something. And then you pop it in. It's like, this is a train wreck, right? Like I love Castlevania 64. You're going to have problems with Castlevania 64. Um, so what I really am trying to find the balance of with these videos is focusing on what I want to talk about 70 to 80% of the video. I want to talk about the things I want to talk about. That's probably going to be mostly positive. Um, and then, just making you aware of the other stuff. 
I don't really want to go in like complete detail of why these things are broken, why they're bad. A lot of the times there are reviews out there that cover all those things of why people don't like the game. And I feel like you can just, you can just go watch one of those other reviews, right? So so it's something that I, I'm trying to move away from. The Battle and Wonderworld video is probably the closest example of this, where I'm just like, I, I don't even like Battle and Wonderworld that much. Like, I think it's a good game. I enjoyed it. I don't like love it. It's fine. Um, there are cool ideas there, though. Uh, like, it even end up in my 20s. I, like, I put DC Superhero Girls above Battle and Wonder World, right? Like, like that's where we're at here. Um, so it's not like some, like, amazing game that I'm just like, oh, yes, Battle and Wonder World, great. But my focus was, like, here are the great things about Battle and Wonder World that I like that I feel like I'm not seeing people talk about online. Like, here are the strengths this game has. And, and, and at the end of that review, I'm like, hey, you know all those things you heard? This, 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 this. I don't need to tell you in detail about them because everyone's talking about that already or has talked about that. So I'm just going to mention they're there. So I recognize they're there and then, you know, make the statement of in the case of Battle of Wonderworld. I was like, this stuff is like crappy for like a $60 video game. Sure. But it's not important enough. Like it, it's, a, it's annoying, but it's, it doesn't like kill an entire video game for me personally. Um, just just as little annoyances. Right. Uh, admittedly, I have like a very high tolerance, but. So I really want to kind of focus on the parts of a game I like, and that's probably going to end up in videos skewing more positively, usually, but at the same time, those are the games I'm excited to talk about. That's the stuff I'm excited to talk about, right? And so what I really want to just give you is the resources to know these problems are out there, and if you really want to know, you can go watch somebody else's video. That's my kind of feeling about that. Now, obviously, there might be some exceptions where I feel differently if people have not put a lot of you know, opinions about there about a game. So I might focus more on why that doesn't work in those cases. But I think that is generally going to be my focus, when, especially when if I have a unique perspective that I don't want to talk too much about. The casual reviews are going to stay the same, though. You know, those are more just kind of well-rounded reviews just because usually those, like, I want to talk about them, but I'm not desperate to talk about them. Like, if I don't ever talk about them, that's okay. Life moves on. <laughs> that's fine. Um, but, you know, it's, it's just something I wanted to to um, focus on and, and mention, it just makes it a hard video to sell. If you don't know, putting review on a video, it, it hits those views up. That That is something that it does. Like when I went back, cause I had a lot of like weird, like denoting like titles for a lot of video types and things like that before. And I basically wiped all those out and just basically put review on all my videos even if sometimes i did not always feel great about them being called reviews i just wanted to simplify more than anything this is before i knew that calling them a review would bump the views but as soon as i slapped a review label on there all my videos rised in views so it's really challenging when i sit there and i'm like this video i know is not a review and i but like if i want to get the most eyes i need to call it a review in some ways in the case of the battle and wonder world how i got around that was like a review response video because it is a response to reviews out there so i got review in the title there right so stuff like that it's really annoying i hate that stuff it's my least favorite thing to think about but i have to think about it to some degree but my, my goal is to never mislabel a video i always want to keep it accurate to what i'm saying it's just hard to do and you got to kind of figure out how to work those kind of things in there. So, so we'll see. I'm going to try to keep, keep that, you know, out of there, but you know, we're going to mainly focus on talking about the things I want to talk about with games and probably not focus so much on reviews, but again, casual reviews are still coming. The other thing for the website, uh, um, content is I really learned this year that, um, crunch is bad. Uh, so I, I, I put it that Battle and Wonderworld video 
We're going to keep talking about Battle of Wonderworld, baby, whether you like it or not. I put out that Battle of Wonderworld video, and um, it did great the, for the first couple of weeks. It has a really bad like-to-dislike ratio because, like, you know, people people would go in there, like, clearly they did not watch the video or were not listening to me, and they're just like, hey, like, this game isn't worth $60, and I'm like, <laughs> in the video, I address that fact, and I'm like, pay whatever you want for it, and if that's $0... Pay zero dollars. I don't care. I'm not the one making money from this. Like, like pay what feels right to you if you're going to try this game. And you don't even have to try it. I'm just saying that you should consider it to some degree. Um, but yeah, so, but there's some people who, who no matter what, aren't, aren't going to listen to you, right? There's somebody who said I was a part of coordinated effort to, to, to deceive people into a scam about Balmore. We're like, I'm not making any money on this. What are you talking about? Um, anyways, that all aside, though. Um, so it got really good initial reviews or views, but then it cut off really hard once I passed by the initial conversation because Battle of Wonder World was a hot topic for a month. Nobody gives a shit after a month. And that's kind of the nice thing about these things. When people get all riled up about this particular game, like everybody catches on fire for a month. And then once that fire is done, Everybody else who just enjoys it can just go on enjoying it. And unfortunately, they have to live under the, the, the like, the, the, uh, storm clouds of if anybody ever finds out they like this video game, they're going to give them shit about it. But overall, like, they just can just, you know, focus on what they couldn't do in the first month, which is why the game is cool. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, Battle Wonder World video views dropped off because at some point, you know, people stopped looking that stuff up. It did really well. But yeah, I, I killed myself for like two weeks trying to get that video out. And, and like, in the end, short-term results were, were cool, I guess. But in the long run, like, it, it just did not really work out. Um, it's still one of my highest-viewed videos, so it's just a different tactic, I guess. But it's, 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 it's a, you know, it's a tactic that really, like, wanes on or, or, or wears you down. Um, because I did try to do the same thing with the near video right afterwards. And that was kind of a weird situation where I did that with kind of the intention of like, I'm going to, I ha I know I have things to say about Nier. I don't know what I'm going to say about Nier at this point when the rebate came out, but I knew I had things to say about Nier. And I was like, okay, how do I actually like wrap this in into something I can put together very quickly? And, and I failed in that case. I think I came out like a month and a half later with my video. Um, and, and the video bombed when it first came out, but then also like the content that was in the video, thankfully was like strong enough that it carried it, you know, long-term on its own. And, and so I think I just don't really want to try to do that anymore where I'm just like chasing the hot topic. It just, it, it would make sense if I was working this job full time or, or something like that. Right. But I'm not, I don't make a single penny off what we're doing right now. I think I've gotten like 40 bucks from coffee in the last year, which thank you everybody who donated money to coffee. Um, but you know, I've got $40 and I've spent, this year it was an expensive year um i just actually bought a pc as well and so technically i've spent like probably over three thousand dollars on hardware alone this year for for the website so or youtube channel so you know not exactly coming out on the positive side of those things and not exactly making the money back on those things either so so yeah but um I, it just it's not a fun way to work on those videos i think it w results in worse videos i think the battle and wonder world script is good for what it is but i don't think it could i think it could have been better given more time so i just want to kind of i'm not going to do a lot of those like hot topic videos i think going forward um if i have to like rush to hit a window for that or at least as of how the the youtube channel is today um the other thing i want to do in 2022 is also like create um more resources for people um you know one thing i've been trying to do and, and this is something i did with the pcfx stuff 
was, you know, create English. I don't know if English guides are the right word, despite me calling them English guides, but they're kind of like reference materials. Like, hey, here's where you can find information about how to play a game kind of thing. And then I think I kind of realized as I started doing those, actually, maybe in some cases, it makes more sense for me to provide the information I know about a game in a way that you can consume it easily. Um, So I think next year I want to focus more on that and creating some kind of pamphlet, template, easy, quick access, start guide kind of thing to get somebody right into a game. So they don't have to go visit like four or five links and be like, okay, now I kind of understand what this game is. Um, You know, I I don't love doing that because it takes a lot of time and it's like a skill set I don't really have. And I don't really know if I like enjoy doing it right now, but I think it it will be valuable to help people play the games that I talk about more. So um, I'll have to wait and see, you know, how long those take. I've worked on a couple so far, and they definitely took longer than I expected them to, but I don't know if they've taken so long that I'm, like, not going to do them, but Battle Heat is a big one. I made, like, a a like quick start guide for that, that sheet as, like, a beta for this uh, earlier this year, and so I need to put that out still. I think I haven't officially put it out anywhere, um, but I made that, and that worked out pretty well, I think, although I have not got a lot of feedback from people about how much that helped them or not. Um, sparkling feathers, what I'm still working on for that, I'm trying to put together like a command list quick guide because there are a lot of commands in that game that do specific things that I think once you like have that list in front of you, it makes playing that game way easier. Is it a good game? That's a whole other thing, but I think it'd be good to have a, something somebody can just reference really quickly on hand via their phone, via a piece of paper, something like that. And in the case of Nintendoji, I'm not going to guarantee anything right now, but I'm looking at basically creating an entire guide for Nintendoji. It's not a great choice that I've made, but I think it is maybe a necessary choice. I think that Nintendoji video has the capability of reaching more people than usual. I hope. (laughs) I mean, thankfully, if it doesn't, I still love Nintendoji, so it's fine. But I do want to um, reach people, reach Nintendo fans particularly in a way that I think would be helpful to them. Because I think people who are into the PCFX are used to dealing with a lot of the like issues that come up in, in, in trying to play a Japanese game where I think a Nintendo fan that might not be as much of the case kind of thing. So I do want to put together something like that. So I want to put together more resources for people and create my own resources in a way that I hope helps people. The biggest problem is I don't speak Japanese so or read Japanese. So, you know, I, I'm not doing translations per se. I'm using the information I have online and putting it together in a way. And who knows, maybe this leads into a situation where I'm like, hey, you know, while it's wonderful to sit here and be like, you can play this game without knowing Japanese, I finally get to the point that I'm like, I probably should learn some Japanese so I can just like tell people what's going on in this video game (laughs) rather than sit here and try to guess at it myself and then be like, you can guess too. (laughs) So, so yeah. Um, so yeah, and the, and the last thing here is more just like to give you guys a heads up. I think the early 2021 is really going to be Nintendo focused probably. I know the PCFX stuff has not come out in the way that it probably should have. It's always trouble. Like, the one thing I will say about the PCFX stuff is, like, I'm very thankful that the PCFX community has, like, embraced my videos in the ways that they have. Um, but I also feel like it hasn't, like, reached anyone outside of that community. So as much as I, you know, want to keep making those guides and, and make them be helpful, and I plan to keep making those guides because I want to keep helping people with that, um, I, it is a little hard to just focus on them because I know it's like going to a very specific limited audience. Um, and those, those videos take a lot of work. I will say I was trying, I was hoping that'd be quick and easy, honestly, but they just take time, unfortunately. So sparkling feather has really just been a pain in my, my side with that stuff. So 
Um, I do have PCFX specific content coming out and I will keep trying to, to follow up on those and keep some kind of consistent, you know, release of PCFX stuff. Um, but it's just kind of up in the air. But yeah, so what I can say for probably fairly certain is uh, a lot of the stuff that I was trying to wrap up last year is probably going to be shifted into the next year. So that includes the Nintendo G video that I think is going to be coming out probably the next video after the, the next one. I have one coming out very early in the next year about game collecting and things like that. But I have that Nintendoji video. I still think the GameCube list I put together for that anniversary thing is still relevant, even if I don't do it for the anniversary, obviously. Or maybe I hold on to it till the next year's anniversary. Um, and then also there's the Chibi Robo um, uh, video I still need to do. I think that's probably going to be the final Chibi Robo video. It's probably the last piece of information I think that we're going to come across anytime in the near future. So, um, yeah, we'll see. But, uh, but I think that last Chibi Row video is, is important to do. Um, I looked around. I haven't seen anyone else talk about it. So I think it's important for me to, to go ahead and make a post about that and see how things go. Um, and then, uh, you know, I am trying to finish Buddy Mission Bond. I need to go out and look at the resources once I'm finished with Buddy Mission Bond, see how people online have received that game and how much is out there. I know there is one video review, but I have not watched it to see, like, how um extensive it is so maybe i'll consider putting something together for buddy mission bond if it makes sense but yeah so i think early next year is going to be kind of a nintendo focused uh uh year i can't think of anything outside of pcfx stuff and nintendo stuff that i have planned in the short term there are a couple of things that i had in mind when it came to monolith soft specifically which i guess you could also say is a nintendo focused thing but monolith soft is you know, they've done a lot of stuff outside of Nintendo as well. Um, I have an idea for like a, that Monolith video. I've been wanting to do like a comprehensive Monolith video. Um, and whenever I sit down and think about what that is, it seems like way too much work. They're all JRPGs and it still be way too much work when I actually do it. But I think I found a way to make it manageable and also cover games in a way that I think will be valuable to people um, rather than just be like, here's my review of Xenosaga episode two. I like it. You don't. So, <laughs> so Yeah. Um, and then also, I still want to do something on Blue Stinger at some point. That's going to be more personal, though. Um, Blue Stinger is a great game, and I will love to talk about that game, and I will definitely talk about it in that video if I if I absolutely can. But I think that video is going to be um, kind of a larger conversation about games like Blue Stinger rather than just Blue Stinger. Because I don't, I, like, if I can, I want to kind of talk about things outside of just, here's this video game, let me give a review of it. I want to talk about the context of it in some ways and, and why it's important to me and things like that. So I'm still trying to just try a lot of different types of videos out. Hopefully that's what I'm doing. It seems like, it feels that way. It feels like I'm trying trying to wrap in myself into these videos a bit more, um, which I think will, will be good overall. But yeah. Anyways, uh, I don't know what time it is, but at least my record timer says a minute and 10 or an hour and 10 minutes. Um, it might be shorter than that. Well, I mean, it will be shorter than that, but I don't know by how much. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much it for, for my stuff for 2022. Uh, thanks for listening to me. Um, one thing I will continue to say, and I know it's, you know, <laughs> I know it's, it's not something that most people do, but uh, I'm always happy to hear feedback from you guys. Let me know what you're looking forward for and like how I can help you um, and or how, how what kind of content you want. I know somebody showed up in, in a stream recently and was like, hey, what about Princess Tomato in the Salad Kingdom? And I was like, I hadn't thought about doing a Princess Tomato Salad Kingdom thing. I mean, I guess I could, maybe. Um, so it's it's not always like something I'm gonna immediately be able to do. Like like it's you got the little thing in my mind of like yes, that is something I could talk about. Um, I would have to. There's a lot of steps for me 
remembering that that game even exists to putting something out, out about it. Um, but, you know, little things like that. It's helpful to know, like, hey, you want to hear me talk about that certain game? Um, and, you know, I can't guarantee it's going to be done or done anytime soon. Um, you know, my process is very long for better or for worse. It takes me for Nintendo G video is supposed to be done in like September, right? And here we are, February. A lot of other things got in the way. But, you know, in terms of realistic amount of work that I did on Nintendo G, we're probably looking at anywhere between like one to two months on, you know, not hard, uh, not entirely working on that thing, but you know, in terms of from the time I start thinking about the script to when that script is actually done, um, you know, one to three months usually. So it takes time for those things. Casual reviews are kind of a different thing, but yeah. So unfortunately, just I'm limited by time. So and I'll always be limited by time until until the money situation changes for the for the the website and the YouTube. That's not me saying that I have to do this for money. I'm not saying that like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna make it there. I'm gonna make it. Benny Boy's gonna make it. I don't think I'm gonna make it anywhere. I think this will always just be a hobby. But I'm happy with it being a hobby. So that's okay. That's cool. It works out for me. I just want to tell you about Nintendo Gene. You get on with your life. So, anyways, that's it for this week. Thanks for coming. OneControlBoard.com is the website. As I mentioned, Patreon official launch should be launching sometime in the first week of the, the month. Also, there's going to be a game collection video in the first week of the month as well. So go check that out. Um, but for this last week, we're just going to be having a standard week. We're going to play, um, we're going to have this podcast, I guess a long podcast for you. We're going to have Parasite Eve um, as the stream game at 7 p.m. Pacific time. Um, so if you want to come check out Parasite Eve, we'll be starting that. Um, hopefully my disc works. I noticed that my disc, like I bought it used, but it's, it kind of looks like it went through hell. Um, it started up okay. <laughs> it, it, it didn't read the first time, but once I cleaned it, it seemed to be fine. So we'll see how that goes. Hopefully we won't have to run into like finding some other way to like play a copy of Parasite Eve. Uh, but yeah, so that's coming up here uh, shortly. And then uh, otherwise, just visit onecontrolport.com for, for all my stuff. It's all there if you want to ever check it out there or subscribe on YouTube or follow me on Twitter. Whatever you want to do. There's a Facebook group now. I got to like actually like script a promo thing or something to actually make sure I know what I'm saying when I'm just like rambling off words here at the end. But anyways, that's it. I hope you guys have a wonderful 2021 ending. And I hope you also have a great 2022. And uh, and I hope you stick around with me during that time. Happy to happy to be with you guys. And I'm happy you're, you're willing to spend an hour and 10 minutes listening to me ramble. <laughs> so, all right. Talk to you later. Bye.